You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, and this is Sunday... Sermon, or Sermon Sunday. <laughs> I don't know. It's Sermon Sunday. Is that what it is? Okay. It doesn't matter. It's an episode that has a sermon in it, and it continues the sermon the <laughs> sermon series that we've been doing, that I've been giving during at the local church. And this is on Ephesians 2, the last half of it, 11 through 22. And there's a little bit of extra details in there about Israel and Jesus being the fulfillment of Israel and he is Israel. So the church collectively, locally and universally is Israel and um, all that, all those details and all that fun, good stuff. So I think I finally found a good way to record with the lapel mic. I actually clipped it onto the microphone that I use that stands in front of me so it's just right in front of me and I took the little the little uh, pop filter thingy off of it too because it's an omni omnidirectional microphone and it seemed to record a, a lot better the sound is a lot better it's still going to sound a little you know open and tinny a little bit but uh, I did not have to manipulate an EQ and all that stuff uh, so it's a lot louder and a lot clearer, I think. So th- I think that's the method I will stick with. So, yeah, uh, without further delay, then here is the rest of the um, of Ephesians 2. And we're still in Ephesians 2. We went through what? The first 10? Yeah, first 10 verses last week. There's a lot of theological things in here. It's very deep. I hope I'm doing it justice. All right. Uh, so we're going to try to get through 11 through 22 today and finish chapter two. And this is still is addressing the unity of Jews and Gentiles in Jesus, in Christ. All right. That because the tension that was there, we spoke a little bit about that. Uh, there's the tension between these two groups of people at Ephesus and really just in the whole, the whole area that, that spanned the biblical uh, scene, if you will, all right? So Paul is expressing that, uh, that salvation is by grace, so it's for all, and can therefore there be no such divisions that are going on that we'll see here, okay? So when it starts... Um, It says, therefore, we don't have to go back and see why it's therefore, because we've already done that. We did that last week. All right. So, but he's taught, he did go, it's not works or anything like that. We, what we have is a gift of God. All right. So therefore, remember 
that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay, so let's stop. You Gentiles, you guys, you all, uh, you are called this. This is a derogatory term, all right? So flesh no longer defines the believer as it did prior to regeneration, all right? So the uncircumcision is a derogatory word for non-Jews by those who are circumcised, and that's why it says that, uh, because the circumcision, right, uh, was the external sign. We've talked about that some too already. So, but... But now this is obsolete, all right? Now it's something that's no longer needed. Uh, It's an external mark that was made by hands, which in contrast to baptism or repentance or regeneration is internal and changes the heart, all right? So 12, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And I know it goes on, but let's stop. Okay, so he mentions the commonwealth of Israel. Okay, so before Jesus, God's promises were exclusive to Israel. And they received the promise, though, of the Messiah. And now it's because through him, Gentiles are now included, and that's what he's, he's getting at here. So they, the, the, the Gentiles and us, were alienated. We were strangers. We had no hope. We were without God. Um, Gentiles worshipped many gods, and I would say that we still do. And so, but, but they did not, and they do not, worship the one true God, And that's what Paul is getting at here. So when it says you you were far off, have been brought near, all right? Brought near because in that phrase, in the the Old Testament, Gentiles were called far off. But Israel was near to God. And now all can be brought near by the blood of Jesus, okay? So... I need to address Israel for a second so, to understand what is all coming up here next. So uh, I don't know how many of you um, believe this or, or not. So uh, there's a lot of people who still think that Israel is God's chosen people. Okay, so some are nodding your head, so just listen to me. <laughs> And and I'm going to try to explain this, okay? So we need a word about Israel. This thing that's talking about the covenant promises of Israel now belong to all, all right? So the actual people, the nation of Israel, had failed to be what God 
called them to be, which was a royal, a royal priesthood and a light to the nations. So does that sound familiar, though, to us, right? That now in Christ, we're a royal priesthood. We are salt and light. We are set apart in Christ, and this is the new covenant. All right, so if, if we know that God adopted Israel as his son, all right, Hosea 11 speaks about this. Actually, all of Hosea pretty much speaks about this. But Hosea 11, 1 says that when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But what happens throughout that history is Israel was an adulterous people and would be cast out of the land. Um, but, but in Hosea... And in several other instances in the Old Testament, they would see a, a renewed Israel who would serve the Lord faithfully. And the hope for a new and a true Israel that would embody all that God called Israel to be. And this hope was fulfilled in God's true son by nature, who is Jesus. And Matthew tells us that Jesus fulfills Hosea 2. So Jesus is actually the true and faithful Israel who succeeded uh, where the, the old covenant Israel failed in, in every aspect of what they were called to by God. So G Jesus came out of Egypt. He passed through the waters. He was tested in the wilderness. And unlike the nation, Jesus passed all these things. Okay, so part of the good news of the gospel tells us that we can be in this, this covenant, right, placed in Christ. So if Christ was a fulfillment of Israel, an embodiment of a true Israel, it's telling us that we can be part of the true Israel of God by being placed in Christ. And we now share in the privileges and relationship that he enjoys as God's true son through the spirit of adoption. Okay, are you guys with me? All right. So when we inherit all the promises that were given to Old Covenant Israel, like ruling over her enemies and enjoying uh, life abundantly, this is the true Israel of God consisting of both Jews and Gentiles, which we're getting at here, and who are both united in Christ by faith alone. So in Jesus, it's we, the church, the body, are uh, the true Israel of God because Jesus is Israel. Okay? So the nation of Israel today and the Jews as a, a group of people um, I would say, and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone who has held on to that belief, it, they are not God's chosen people. They are not the chosen nation anymore. They are um, because there are no second class citizens in the kingdom. Uh, all who are saved and placed in Christ are the chosen and make up the body of Israel, which is Jesus. So I know that demolishes a lot of things and a lot of people get upset about that. And I've 
had people get upset about it to me before. Um, but the, the fact is, that's what's happening. It's, there's this backdrop throughout the whole New Testament that what was this old covenant um, is obsolete. It's fading away. It's no longer necessary. Why? Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. He is the embodiment of the true covenant uh, person of how Israel was supposed to be. They were the ones that were called and chosen, but they failed. They were an adulterous nation. They worshipped other gods. Uh, God even speaks to them in some pretty harsh ways in the Old Testament. And, but Jesus comes, he fulfills it. And because of this, he's making a new covenant and in which embodies all of humanity. So all who come are chosen. Um, so if there are questions and comments, and usually it goes to Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, talking about all of Israel will be saved which you have to understand then, it's not the actual nation of Israel, but all those who are come to penitent faith in Christ and placed in the body of Jesus is all of Israel. That becomes all of true Israel, which is Jesus is the head of the body, and we are all these, these members, individual members, and we are joined with him and become one spirit with him, and that is true Israel. Okay, so that may leave some of you with a lot of questions. We can address them afterwards if you want. So um, I wanted to explain that so we can get better understanding of what's happening here in the rest of this chapter. So um, they were brought, brought near by the blood. And so it says, for he himself is our peace in verse 14. And I want to be clear that peace here in the Bible is not what we think of peace. Like, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. All right? It's wholeness. It is well-being. And it's unity and salvation. But it's never, it's not like, you know, peace, dude. Like, you know, that's not what, it, it's not that. And it's not feel like this, I feel at peace. When we say that, and, and it's sort of cliche or generic, but we all say it, I understand that. Even I do, but it's not this actual feeling. It's not an emotion. It is actually being made complete. This is peace, righteousness, and joy is the Holy Spirit. It is the kingdom of God, and Jesus brings this peace. So he brings us to wholeness. He brings us to unity and our salvation. Jesus makes peace because he is the one in whom peace is found. So peace in, in Hebrew is shalom, and it was a, a Jewish greeting of oneness with God, which is present within all believers, all right? So we are one with the Lord because of what Jesus has done. So, and he, it says, made us both one. They're still in 14. <clears throat> and he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So again, 
made us both one, Jews and Gentiles are one. And this dividing wall of hostility that Paul is referencing the temple. Okay? And the reason why is because there was a wall that separated the, the inner court of the Jews from the outer court of the Gentiles. So here it symbolizes that the law... Uh, or it symbolizes the law that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are no longer divided in their worship of God or in reception of his gifts. It's available to all now. It's going past the original boundaries of, of Judaism, of, of the Jews. It's including all of mankind. So... Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, so... Abolishing the law, which is interesting, because he said, I wouldn't abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. It's okay. This, this here again, this phrase, abolishing the law, these, the, the, the precepts that separated Jews from Gentiles, these are gone now. Because Jesus overcame the law's ability to condemn believers, Uh, so that he might create in himself this one new man that it speaks of, which, because he is Israel and the second Adam, all all of humanity can be reunited now in him with no division and no hostility. So literally, he walks out of the tomb resurrected as one new man. That's for all of us. It includes all humanity. Um, So it's the Jews and the Gentiles are equal in and through him because they have been reconciled. Um, A lot of of false teachings on this phrase, one new man. But it's it's really literally clear right here that he's creating one new man here. Jesus... uh, He's the head, as I said earlier, we're the body, and he creates this one new man that consists of Jews and Gentiles, man, woman, children, right? Any color, any creed, whatever, right? One new man. It's Jesus, and it's us placed in him. It's the church. We're the body. It's nothing else. It's not a new breed of Christians, which it's... I know most of you guys won't know that stuff, but it's, that's what people say. It's this new breed, this new generation that are going to do these greater works. It's this end times army. It's Joel's army. This one new man's going to rise up and, and conquer and, and divide. And even, even in, within the church, <laughs> Rick Warren said there will be a civil war between the one new man and the church. And this one new man will kill the Christians that aren't real Christians. Okay, so much for a purpose-driven life. (laughs) 
That's weird. Uh, so it's Jesus. It's the body, all right? It's the church. And we, we, we said, okay, yeah, we got here. Making peace, right? 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So I repeated that because it, it, it's always back to the body. It's always back to the cross. The reconciliation that Jesus removed the hostility between humanity and God in one body. It was his body. And it always comes back to the cross. It always comes back to his body that all died with Christ on the cross and the benefits are found in one body, namely Jesus, whose body is the church. All right, so I'm repeating it a lot to make the point. But that's what it, it always comes back to this. It comes back to what Jesus did. So 17. And he came and preached peace to, to you who were for, far off and peace to those who were near. So again, we have this far off and the near, the Gentiles and uh, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Okay, so let's just stop there. So as, as prophesied in the Old Testament um, by Isaiah that Jesus brought this message of peace that his death and his resurrection achieved. And through the apostles to the Gentiles who were far off, and the Jews who were near, okay? And so we both, again, we both, Paul speaking to who? Not us, but the Gentiles and, and, and Jews, we both, we all, all of us have access to, because there is no longer that dividing wall. There's no temple-like walls. Not, uh, there's nothing, no longer bars all um, humanity's access to the triune God, all right? And that's, that's what he's going on here. And then uh, 19, we'll go back into this again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, so you are no longer these strangers. You are no longer aliens, but now fellow citizens. And there was this intense hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. And Paul strove to make non-Jewish believers be welcomed in the largely Jewish community and churches by pointing to this joint membership that was available in the kingdom of God. So the gates are open to all and faith affords all the entrance to come in. And then he, he says it's been built on this foundation, all right? And it's not just any foundation, but, but the one 
from the apostles and the prophets, and Christ being this chief cornerstone, that Christ's work ended the old covenant and it brought an end to biblical Judaism and sacrifices. And it, as I said earlier, this is thing going on in the backdrop throughout the whole New Testament that ends up coming to this destruction of the temple and to Jerusalem uh, in 70 AD. So things that were fading away, becoming obsolete, the circumcision, this, this hostility, this dividing wall, Paul saying it's no longer there, all are welcomed, you don't have to listen to what they're saying, the Jews, because they're saying, as I said last week, yeah, okay, we're, we're accepting you now, we're accepting this truth that Jesus is including you, but you need to do this. And he's saying, no, this has been broken down. That's not the case. There's, there's just one new man now, and it's Jesus, and all are a part of it. So, when it, it, he talks about this, uh, that foundation and that cornerstone, and he's saying he's erected this new spiritual house of God. This one new man, his body which is the church, and it's been built on the preaching of the apostles and the prophets. So Jesus being the cornerstone means that he has established the direction of two walls and anchors them together. All right, And we see in 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7, it's, it's uh, repeating uh, Isaiah 28, uh, 16, and it says, For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the, the prophecy is that through Jerusalem, that though, I'm sorry, that though J Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed, God would build this new Jerusalem that could not be destroyed, and it's Fulfilled in the creation of the church. And it's an undis like undis indestructible Zion. It's made by living stones and it's, it's founded on the precious cornerstone, Jesus. And it grows, it says. It grows into a holy temple. And this is the church. It's Christ's body is a living temple. We, are, are, we know ourselves. Our bodies are living temples as well. That God gives it growth as these new, as new living stones are added even. And it matures by learning the truth and rejecting error and loving each other. And that's his point that he's trying to make because of who he's speaking to. But it goes for all of us as well, right? That denominational walls are just that. They're denominational walls. <laughs> That should not be there unless there's somebody promoting heresy somewhere. Those, those are to be marked. Those are to be rejected. But it doesn't matter if we're Methodist or Baptist or whatever. We're to love each other. We're all members. We're individuals. We, uh, we have diversity and we are this living, holy temple that God 
is bringing in new members to on a daily basis, and it's growing. All right, so this temple is living in God and dwells in each of us, but here Paul is emphasizing the corporate nature of the church itself, locally and universally. And that at that end, it says that in him who are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So it's, it's living. God indwells us. He indwells the church because we are placed in Christ. He's the head. He's the one new man. He was the embodiment of Israel. The church is Jerusalem. We've come to Mount Zion. We're indestructible. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And it continues to grow. Amen. Yeah. So, when you look at things that Jesus said, like a mustard seed or a leaven, it will grow to the biggest the biggest plant, that to a tree will birds will come for refuge. It will consume the whole batch. Uh, that, that's what he's getting at here somewhat. Like everything sort of in the Bible has an eschatological sense to it, which that's a big word. That just means an end time type of thing. It has this, this uh, uh, es- eschaton to it. So um, we're living, we're breathing, we can't be destroyed. We've gone through many, many things. But what has always survived throughout the world? The church. It's always survived. Why? Because it's living, it's breathing, and it's indwelt by the living God, the one and only true God. And he is growing it himself. Now, yes, we are to disciple. We are to disciple the nations and all that. But we miss, we miss the beginning of that verse, it says, all power and authority have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus is the head, right? So, uh, that's pretty much it on that. So, uh, if I don't stop, I'll keep rambling. Because <laughs> I start to get excited. So, is there any questions or comments? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the apostles and the prophets. And I'm, I dealt with the same question. I was like, is this referring to Old Testament prophets or some New Testament? Because there are New Testament prophets too. We don't know. There's not many that were mentioned. Agabus was one of them. We know Jesus was one too. But I do believe that it's talking about the teaching of the, of the apostles and the prophets. I think it believes I believe it contains all of the prophets from Old Testament up into that time that when this was written, because the Old Testament prophets were always pointing to, even though a lot of it is uh, is very doom and gloom and destruction and stuff, but it's always got this glimmer of hope and of Jesus coming and a Messiah coming. So I believe them speaking and being a mouthpiece for God, speaking to the nation, that through them and now Jesus on earth and then resurrected and ascended and then the disciples becoming apostles, that when you take all of those teachings and then now what they have through the ministry of Jesus combined, it lays the foundation with Jesus being a cornerstone. That's what I think.
There you go. All right. Any questions, comments, concerns, disagreements, send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com or get in the Facebook discussion group. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thank you for listening. <laughs>